Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Dan Fleet on the line. Dan, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Great to have you here. You have done some amazing work and you're the author of Trusted Healers. And we talked a lot in the pre-show about healthcare and the pandemic and a variety of different topics. And instead of wasting all of our time in the pre-show, I thought we better record this. So, so tell us a little bit about your backstory, uh, why you wrote the book and some of the observations you've discovered uh, since publishing the book. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Trusted Healers came from some encouragement from people that I had worked with. I I worked for IBM for 36 years. I had a chance to lead the healthcare business for much of that. I ended up running all of government healthcare education, life sciences, and smarter cities. And and I had a chance to work with some of the best minds in healthcare, uh, as most of them were were clients. And um, so when I, I, I finished my career, they came to me and said, Dan, you actually don't have a dog in the fight, but yet you've seen around the world the best healthcare systems. You have a very interesting background. I'm a behavioral science person. So I look at organizations and try and figure out how you create value. And and so I started to think about it. And I I thought about the leadership models that I saw, these leaders, uh, societal change. How long does it really take for something to take hold and, and make a difference? And then healthcare, a, a very strong focus on primary care, the questions that you should look at to help yourself and your family. We actually put those in the book. Uh, there's a, a full chapter on questions you should ask your doctor. And then specifically about the patient-centered medical home. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why do you want to look for a medical home? And then it creates this trusted healer, someone that's in your life that can help you navigate healthcare and be able to do the things that you, you want to do in your life. And that's one challenge we see is navigating healthcare. And I worked in the healthcare sector for over a dozen years. And even myself, when I needed to navigate the system for whatever reason, it wasn't easy unless you had somebody that kind of guide you along the way. And I've seen some of the better healthcare systems in the world have that as a primary focus. Like if a patient enters into our ecosphere, what do they need? Okay, let's connect them and, and basically take them kind of like a, a concierge kind of thing where, okay, we're going to navigate you from here to here to here to make it as seamless as possible for the patient to get their best care that they need without having to figure out and getting a PhD and how do I navigate the healthcare system here? And I find when patients have that type of access, it does improve their outcomes because not only are they being navigated through the system, but there's communication going on through all the pieces and there isn't any broken telephone type of challenges that we've seen so often, not only in healthcare, but pretty much every sector. Right, right. Well, in um, to, to your point, people that have that kind of relationship, specifically in primary care, they're 12 to 13% less likely to end up in emergency room. They're 25% less likely to have a hospital stay. They'll have 31% less payout out of their deductible than others. So 
for sure, exactly what you're talking about. Those that come into a system where they have a relationship with primary care, when they understand what their blood pressure is, their cholesterol levels are, their sugar levels are, their uh, different aspects of their mental and behavioral health. Are they up to date on their vaccines? You and I were talking about that. And do they know the name of their primary care doctor or their system that they belong to? Those questions we found have a profound impact on individuals' health. And those that end up being able to answer those questions and know their numbers and live a life where they have a trusted healer, someone that's helping them, a system that's helping them, live a much healthier life and they're a contributor to society for sure. Yeah, it just makes it so much easier. And again, it, 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 it reduces the strain on the healthcare system as well. Because if you're not visiting the emergency room or if you're not tying up a hospital bed, that frees people up. And we alluded to COVID-19 earlier about percentages of people to get vaccines. And that's basically what we're looking for at this point in time of this recording is we're waiting for a vaccine. There's a race to get the vaccine ready to go. And then once that's ready to go, obviously mass production, get it into the hands of people that we can start administering these vaccinations. But we talked about the flu shot and what percentage of the population actually gets that. So it's gonna be interesting to see, and I'd love to hear your, your views on this, on is history gonna repeat itself and we're gonna see those same types of percentages, the people that get the flu shot will get the COVID vaccine, or are we going to see potentially a little bit of a spike or maybe even lower? I'd love to hear your view. Well, for, for sure, history, history does repeat itself. Um, and as we studied societal change and how long it really takes for something to happen, the Bible talks about 40, over 140 times in the Bible. It's one of the most widely used numbers. It, it's referenced to a generation. Um, in 1928, the first movie on air travel was called Wings. And 40 years later, we put a man on the moon. Martin Luther King was shot in 1968. 40 years later, Barack Obama is named president. Medicare, Medicaid came out in the 1965 time period. No one really wants that to be ripped and replaced. They want it to continue to build on there, there's something about timing. So the first flu shot. So for your listeners right now, maybe they can ask themselves that question. They can say, when do you think the flu, first flu shot was? Well, it started actually in 1930 and it was widely available then in 1945 in the U.S. So it's been around for a while. And every year it takes about five to six months to create that vaccine for that yearly flu that we, we, we see. now. CDC, the numbers last year, only 48.6% of the population in the U.S. Took, took the flu shot. So what should we expect with COVID? Do we think that everyone's going to get the flu shot or do we think history is going to repeat itself? Well, first of all, it does take a while for these vaccines to come out. Now, once, once they're done and, and, and they're handled appropriately, then it's a five to six month window where they can up, update those, upgrade, be able to determine what the next strain is, and then be able to target that with the right kind of, uh, right kind of shot, right kind of flu shot or, or COVID shot. So this goes back to the idea of a trusted healer. You need to have a relationship with a doctor, uh, with a system, 
that you're talking to on a regular basis that understands who you are. Do you have a pre-existing condition? Is there a reason why you should be taking the shot or maybe you have a reason why you don't want that and the doctor could potentially help you? And then there's the whole idea of mental and behavioral health. So many people are struggling with, with all the aspects of this today that the number one area of increased visits is actually mental and behavioral visits today versus anything else. And, and now that we have telemedicine and it's being paid for, et cetera, I think you're going to see more of those kind of visits and people will look for health, uh, help in this particular area. So we'll see what people do. If history repeats itself, it's going to take a while. We'll get the vaccine, but then only 48.6% of the people choose to have the flu shot. So what will we do as a society? Will that mean that every other person that you see going down the street, you're going to worry potentially has it and, and might be an issue for you? Or you might say, I don't care. I'm just not going to have it. I don't want to take it. I'm afraid I'm going to get it. And this is where you really need a trusted healer. That's why I wrote the book for people to understand these kind of questions and be able to help them be able to have that conversation with their, their doctor. It's very important, and, and, and prevention is a huge component of it, and that's the purpose of, of the flu shot and every other immunization. When we were children, we got you know, booster shots and you know, polio shots, all these things that were very important for us because those diseases that happened before those vaccines existed were deadly. No one wants to have an iron lung that don't sign me up for that you know that's not fun and and the same thing with covid we've seen the stories of how some people react one way i have a good colleague um around yep. my age um who came down with covid around memorial day recovered from it and then a few weeks later suffered a collapsed lung so it's significant it's not something to fool around with and it can happen innocently. It's not you know one of those things where, and we've seen it because of the way that it spreads and and everything. And, and 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 of course, I don't know this for fact, but based on the vaccine, I think there may be a public expectation that it could be you get one shot and then you're good to go, or it could be much like the flu shot where okay, this is now part of an annual routine. You're going to get a COVID vaccine for this year because of the different strains or variations. So I don't know. I'm not in the science lab. But it, it makes me wonder if that's the direction that we may end up going on things, depending on, on you know, what these vaccines can take on. Because I would anticipate that there would be some variances to the strains of this particular well we already know it's already mutated you know at least twice probably more times the, the wuhan virus the, the one that came um from from china is is different than the one that came from italy and there may be more mutations um, we'll see but you know you brought up a really important point which is this idea about preventative medicine preventative care so when we studied healthcare around the world the best performing systems we saw something that was relatively unique, and that is that they spend 14 to 20% of their first dollar, healthcare dollar, on preventative care, on, on primary care, on upfront care, on what you would call well care. In the US, we only spend five to 7% of the dollars that we spend on, on well care and on, on preventative care. If we could just move the needle and have people go see their primary care doctor, 
and go to the scheduled appointments and are up to date on their vaccines, then we can move the needle of healthcare for, for individuals. We can lower costs and we can help people with these issues and maybe identify some of these challenges that people have much sooner and, and take corrective actions. So uh, we learned a lot of lessons in writing the book and as we studied great leaders in the healthcare systems, one key takeaway was uh, these other systems around the world, they spend more money on preventative care and well care than, than we do uh, here in the United States. And you know, the same thing, you know, where I was a um, healthcare executive in, in Canada and the same situation where healthcare system physicians and medical providers are compensated not for prevention, but for reaction and addressing some things. And I, and I know physicians and talking with them for as long as I worked with them, it's a frustration. They say, I would love to spend more time on the prevention side of things, but the funding bodies, whether it's insurance or governments, are only throwing a nickel on the dollar towards it instead of a quarter. And you, you transform that. All that does is we have a healthier society. We have healthier human beings, less absenteeism, in all likelihood, lower mental health strains. Because if you're not feeling well, you know, physically, that takes a toll on your mental Yes. being in it just a domino effect and it it goes both ways if you're not feeling well mentally it can create problems you know that you know chronic many chronic diseases stress is a contributing factor for those things to permeate and start growing uh, so it's we have to stop thinking that mental health and physical health are, are separate things we're, we we're they're the same we're one unit that's very very complex and unique and special but addressing our overall wellness um, from head to toe uh, and people taking ownership of taking care of themselves, I think will go a long way in helping us as a society be healthier. Right. Well, I, I, as you know, my friend Patrick Kennedy wrote the foreword for, for, for the book and Patrick and I worked tirelessly in mental behavioral health, some of the opioid challenges. And we we're fortunate to have Dr. Oz have us on the show talking about checkup from the neck up and, and, and focus on exactly what you're talking about, that, that parity, if you will, of uh, mental and physical health. And, and I'm somewhat optimistic for a number of reasons. Uh, working with Patrick and, and others, we were able to close the gap, the technological gap of having information about a patient that were mental and behavioral questions and then answers in with their medical record. Well, believe it or not, that was not, you would know this, it was not in the physical record. There was not that, that wellness record that include that in the, in the past. So we, we've worked in the electronic medical records now have information that can be contained and looked at and, and, and can follow you. Um, the second is the, the systems now are allowing doctors, primary care doctors, to refer out to doctors that can help with mental and behavioral issues and then they can bring them back in and they can get paid for it. And that was, believe it or not, a big deal because they didn't want to refer out their patients for something they thought they can help with when yet there was a professional that could handle it maybe a different way and a better way on mental behavioral issues. And then the last is that recently there was a, a landmark case, Witt versus United Healthcare that went to the Supreme Court, 
where it was ruled that the health insurance companies had to do a far better job of paying for mental and behavioral health than they had been. They were collecting money, but yet they were not maybe doing everything that they could. And that was taken to the highest court in the land and ruled in favor uh, of, of the wit which then has really changed the insurance companies. They're now paying much, much closer attention to this. So if you look at connecting from a technological standpoint, the information about the medical record, the payment system, so you could refer in and out, and then last but not least, this focus that the insurance company, it has allowed us to have these conversations, check up from the neck up, know your rights, be able to have this addressed in, in the right way. And so now, Mental and behavioral health should be included within your role within the trusted healer. And, and within that conversation, uh, I think we can address many of these issues that here in the four may have showed up in the emergency room. We've left many of these problems uh, at the doorstep of the emergency room, which, as you and I know, is the most expensive treatment. And, uh, and it's not where people want to end up for sure. You know, and they're overworked in, in the merge and they have to face so many different challenges. And if those issues would be addressed elsewhere, it eases the burden. And that was you know, one of the mandates that obviously was given to me as an administrator, but I also gave it to myself was do everything we can at this level to prevent our patients from having to go to eMERGE unless it was absolutely necessary. We should be able to handle it here. And Right. And, and live that way and operate that way. And um, when you do that, your relationship with the hospital is a whole lot better because they know you're, you're fighting and you're an ally with them and you're doing everything you can to make sure that emergency is there for true emergencies. And well, and you, you've been a champion on the, on the idea of burnout and, and being able to have, uh, help people with the workload. I, and I'm so encouraged, I must tell you, I'm so encouraged. The number of registered nurses, the number of physician's assistants, um, more schools that are being created, the idea to have everyone practice at, the, at their educated license. Uh, this is what Doug Henley talks about, the American Academy of Family Physicians and others. And as we do that, then the we can bring individuals into the system and they're not going to have to wait as long. We're not going to have the burnout. We're going to teach more people that can handle the, the workload. And then we can keep them out of the emergency room because there'll be somebody that can help them for whatever their issue is, whether it's a registered nurse, a physician assistant, uh, or, or, or going in to see the primary care doc or potentially your specialist as well. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I'm optimistic about what's ahead of us. Uh, and I know that oh, there's a lot of players in the mix that are all on the same page to say, okay, we, we need to address this and, and make this work for not only the patients, but for the providers as well. And when that works, then, then you have a really special system that is uh, changing lives for the better. I do, I do worry on the optimism side though. Um, and, and Oprah Winfrey in her last show, she talked about how you have to listen to the whispers for they turn into these major problems in society. I didn't know she used that, but I use that in addressing a state of the union on mental and behavioral health with Patrick. It's a Native American folklore that talks about listening to the whispers. You do not have to hear the screams. Now, you could imagine sitting around a campfire and, and maybe the, the, the father figure would talk about stories and, and, and tell the individual sitting there 
listen to the whispers and you don't have to hear the screams. They were probably thinking about coyotes or things that go bump in the night. Now, that's a very powerful analogy for all of us right now. Are there whispers that we're not listening to? Are there things that are happening in society that we should pay better attention to? And for if we don't, they end up turning to be a major problem. So I think your listeners right now could probably figure out what some of those whispers are that we should do a better job of listening to that will have a profound impact on society and things that need to be changed. And so much of societal change and change for the better is listening to those whispers. And I'm hopeful that people will do a better job of listening to those whispers. Uh, But the optimism that you and I just talked about, it will fall short. It will fall way short of what we believe can happen unless we listen to those whispers. I love that. And listening to the whispers is is such a great reminder for all of us to focus on as we, as we wrap up today. So Dan, I've absolutely enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work that you're doing? Well, thank you very much. First of all, Trusted Healers uh, came out bestseller on Amazon and health policy. I hope you go to Amazon, any place you buy books, uh, Trusted Healers, and look for my last name. I have a website that's everyonemattersonline.com. Uh, you can reach me there or just follow us from that standpoint. And then I do, uh, I'm on uh, a number of programs. Um, you might be able to follow me with either podcasts or on different TV programs as we talk about the importance of trusted healers, societal change, healthcare, and leadership. Thank you. Well, that's great. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So thank you again, Dan, for, for the work that you're doing and the work you've done and the work that you continue to do. It's going to make the world a healthier and better place. So thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.